Hey everybody, Joe here from the Lions Led by Donkeys podcast. If you enjoy what we do here on the show and you think it's worth your hard-earned money, you can support the show via Patreon. Just a $1 donation gets you access to bonus episodes, our Discord, and regular episodes before everybody else. If you donate at an elevated level, you get even more bonus content. A digital copy of my book, The Hooligans of Kandahar, and a sticker from our Teespring store. Our show will always be ad-free and is totally supporter-driven. We use that money to pay our bills, buy research materials that make this show possible, and support charities like the Kurdish Red Crescent, the Flint Water Fund, and the Halo Trust. Consider joining the Legion of the Old Crow today. And now back to the show. Welcome to yet another episode of the Lions Led by Donkeys podcast. I'm Joe, and spitting into an empty seltzer can is Nick. It's me doing that now live. <laughs> spitting cans and uh, well, I want to get one of the ones where, you, where you're sitting there and you go, ting. Like, like an actual spittoon. Yeah, but I want to do like distance spitting. Where I just ting. <laughs> <laughs> There's worse Olympic sports. I imagine there is. I like uh, curling. Is this, <laughs> yeah, uh, that one. Running. Uh, I mean, sprinting is pretty interesting, and then like obviously like mar- like it's not this, for me. This story of the marathon is interesting. Uh, like, I, I hate running. I fucking hate it. I don't think I've ran more than a mile since I've been in the army. Uh, I wish I could say cumulatively, but like that's not true. Like I've definitely ran more than a mile at a time. But like watching someone sp- like break a land speed record on their Chevrolets is pretty fucking cool. <laughs> Doesn't mean you don't want to do it. Like I'm not gonna be like I'm gonna be my son's gonna be the next Usain Bolt. It's not gonna happen. Like if your son says race me, Dad, in the parking lot, I'm like you got it, kid. <laughs> pull. I'm gonna pull the car around. <laughs> yeah, better fucking run. Um. So today's episode is uh. Requires a bit of an intro, and uh, we're, I'm going to give that intro. Okay. How do you? How much do you know about the Crow Tribe of the Native America uh, of the Crow Tribe uh, of America? None at all. First Nations, Native Americans, whichever you want to. None. Uh, and here I thought you were uh, the, the premier Crow scholar. Actually, we're going to talk about. Actually, that'd be nice. Actually, I this wish. guy is also the premier. Crow scholar. Uh, hmm. So his name is Joseph Medicine Crow, and it, and it takes a little bit of intro to get to him. And you have to kind of understand the unique place that the Crow tribe uh, exists in in American history. Like when right. you think of like uh, uh, the 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 Plains Wars, uh, the genocide of the uh, Native American people, you think of like multiple tribal wars against the United States, right? The crows really weren't involved in most of that in the way that you would think. So to understand today's episode, you have to dive into the history of one of America's native tribes. That is the crow, also known as the Absaroka. Today, the crow, like a lot of Plains Indians, are based around the Montana area. Uh, but it was not always the case. Uh, also, there's like some reservations in Oklahoma, I believe. Um, and like most reservations... That is not their ancestral land. They're just kind of shoved there. Uh, I'm not going to really get into that in this episode uh, because that is an episode unto itself or a series. Probably a series. series. Yeah. Uh, The Crow, like most native tribes, have a long and unfortunate history of being pushed off of their land. Their first homeland was around Lake Erie, which is today like Ohio. 
Uh, but they did the right thing by leaving there as soon as they could. Because <laughs> yeah, it's Ohio. Uh, but no, really, they were forced off of the land by better armed and more aggressive neighboring tribes, uh, which is pretty common for them. They moved westwards and ran into conflict with, with other tribes over the fur trade. And things didn't always go their way. Other tribes got access to more and more guns via that same fur trade, and the crow began to clash with them as well. As the 1800s came around, the natives in the area were banding together to expel Europeans from their land, uh, but the Crow kind of stayed out of it. They're like, we hate the other tribes too much to ally with them, wow. which like is interesting because like there's all these confederacies popping up, like tribal confederacies, not the shitty slave one. Yeah. Uh, like, like the Iron Confederacy is one. Like we talked about the Iroquois Confederacy yeah. in a different like. The Crow's like, nah. You guys <laughs> suck. You guys suck so much. We don't want to fight white people with you. Like, that's like a, a completely different level of burn. <laughs> I can't imagine hating someone that much to go, you know what? I wouldn't even set aside my difference. <laughs> yeah. The, for once, the greater unifying theory of fuck those guys did not work out. <laughs> yeah. uh, it, that's, they, they mostly hated the Sioux and the Cheyenne tribes, which were dominant in the area. They're like, nah, you guys have fun. Uh, I think what they were hoping is that the Sioux and the Cheyenne would get their asses handed to them by the white people, and then the crow would be able to come in and take advantage of it. Nice. Which, I, I'm only guessing that, but that would be the smart thing to do. That would be, uh, as I were to call it in any survival game that I play, rat gameplay. <laughs> the, the the tribal rat fucking. Uh, mm -hmm. And actually, through a lot of these Plains Wars, the crow uh, allied themselves with the United States and enlisted in the army. Wow. Uh, to include, most famously, at the Battle of Little Bighorn. Um, and also like during Red Cloud's War, but most people remember the Crow Scouts of, of Custer. Uh, Crow soldiers enlist in the U.S. Army to fight their enemies, the bad blood running far enough back that they're able to forget about the, how shitty the white people were. Uh, like in the, and the Crow did not like Americans. Uh, like it was, it, it was like the Finns allying with the Nazis. Like we need you for now. Yeah. <laughs> um, like most tribes at the point, uh, at one point or another, conflict between them and the U.S. military would eventually come. Uh, and this time it was known as the Crow War, which is actually a pretty bold name to put on what is more of like the Crow Skirmish. Um, it started, uh, it's also known as like the Crow Agency War of 1887. It is not a war. Uh, it is li quite literally a, a firefight between the United States Army, the Crow, and then some Crow assholes who disregarded their own uh, tribal government. Um, Oh, wow. In the late 1800s, when the U.S. had all but stamped out the rebellions of the natives, the natives still raided and fought one another. Uh, like, they'd leave reservations and raid other people for horses and stuff. And and it was attempted, for for the most part, I'm not speaking for all tribes here, I'm speaking for the Crow, that their, uh, that their chiefs would tell their kids, because it was normally, like, uh, older men, teenagers, young 20s, that were doing it to, like, prove themselves. Right. And they're like, cut that shit out. <laughs> Really? Yeah, they were trying to get him to stop, but like they're like, "Nope, fuck you, Grandpa." Rebellion. Yeah, and because like it, it, it's something of a of a rite of passage to like go steal somebody's horse, get some of that yeah. sweet war booty. You know how it is. Uh, you know how we do. <laughs> uh, during one of those occasions, the Crow and the Blackfoot tribes began raiding one another's reservations. Uh, also, it should be pointed out, leaving your reservation was absolutely against the law in accordance with the U.S. government. So, like. If uh, like that's one of the things that led towards Red Cloud's warp, I believe, is like he left his reservation because he's like, yo, reservations fucking suck. And like they dispatched the army to go force him back on his reservation, which happened a lot. Jeez. Uh, so like the crow raiding from their reservation to the Blackfeet is like not great. 
but also it was a small enough scale where the army wouldn't have known Flew under if, the radar if no one would have told them. Right. Uh, it turns out there were some snitches in their midst. Bastards. Uh, uh, the Crow Chief told his young warriors to cut that shit out, and hopefully they could squash this intertribal beef. Uh, like and the tribe and like the chiefs could talk it out because their warriors are being assholes. Um, mostly they were both worried about the uh, the U.S. government getting involved and fucking all of them up right. again. Because uh, you know, like the U.S. is bad. We're bad. <laughs> we, a lot of the times we did a genocide yeah. and then put them into Oklahoma sized concentration camps with no food. Uh, so yeah, but a young warrior named Swordbearer grabbed some men and went off and raided the Blackfeet again. And you can't have a name like Swordbearer and not do that. Yeah, like you can't like man who is good with gun. Like yeah. how dare you become a gorilla? <laughs> like that's kind of your fault at that point. <laughs> He's gonna live up to that fucking yeah. name, hundred percent. Uh, so he went out and stole some horses. He brought the horses back to the reservoir. Yours would be, I can see your veins. <laughs> Good with needle. <laughs> yeah, uh, like, not why a great are you name. Here? <laughs> why do you keep giving IVs to people? I'm sorry. It's all I'm good at. <laughs> Quick with Narcan. Um, now, he brought those horses back to his reservation agent. Uh, the reservation agent was a government representative on the reservation who was a white guy. Uh, it wasn't always a white guy, but this one was uh, because he he had to register the horses with the agent to be like, yo, these are mine now. But like the agent's like, you stole those. How do you register a horse? I don't know. Holy shit. Fucking license plate. Here's your VIN number. Excuse me, Mr. <clears throat> Swordbearer. Do you have insurance on this horse? <laughs> yeah. Um, the agent had a problem with this because they were very clearly stolen. How? How do you know? <laughs> because one guy showed up with four horses. So? What did he do? Buy them? They purposely made the natives poor as shit. He can't afford a horse. I just want to know how this guy like had records of all this stuff. <laughs> Brands, probably. I don't know. Is that the VIN number? <laughs> you gotta lift up the tail and look for the, 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 the VIN number on the undercarriage. <laughs> uh... Yeah, he said the agent didn't like this, um, and he's like, yo, I'm not going to let you register these horses as yours. So Swordbearer solved this problem the only way that a guy named Swordbearer knew how, which is Kissed pulling him. out his gun and oh. shooting at his feet and making, like, literally dance. making him dance. Yeah, Dance, the final dance of death. <laughs> dance, motherfucker, you, you pale-faced bitch. <laughs> yeah. Uh, though, so this got blown out of proportion in some news. Do you think he tried being cool with the tribe, like how like older people do? Hello, fellow natives. Yeah, he's like, it's like the guy who goes to vacation in Hawaii for like a week. Like, Aloha, my Ohana. Yeah, like shaka, shut up, shut up, yeah. Like eat shit, Pete. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's gonna be me in like three weeks. <laughs> <laughs> They're just gonna throw rotten food at you all the time. I, I deserve it. Um, the, the newspapers of the time were like. Swordbearer and his war band opened fire on the agency office and blew the house apart, though there's no evidence what? of that ever happening. Yeah, that didn't happen. Twin towers were taken down. <laughs> he flew a horse into it. <laughs> God damn it, you made me do a 9-11 joke, you fucking asshole. Uh, uh, I think that might be a first. Blazing yeah. trails. Uh, we're canceled. Uh, now, Swordbearer and his band, after opening fire on the agent, now... Depending on the story that you believe, I believe the the crow version, which is he shot at the guy's feet. Yeah, not the U.S. It's, it's a humble version. Yeah, uh, it, because like if I was sword and Swordbearer does survive, uh, and if I was telling the story, like fuck yeah, we opened fire on the agency building, but he doesn't say that. <laughs> so like I'm willing to believe the guy who shot at the guy. Uh, 
in you know, he and his guys realized they probably screwed up because uh, they shot at a government uh, employee. So they ran off into the mountains. Oh. Off the reservation. Oh. So the U.S. Army was dispatched to force them back onto the reservation. I would hate that, too. Go uh, into the mountains. Find this one guy. Like, imagine, and it's almost always cavalry units. I, uh, I believe this one was, like, the seventh, uh, but... Uh, and I do not have a Stetson huh. sitting on my desk with a 7th Cavalry flash <laughs> yeah. on it because I was, that's not me. That's not who I am. Uh, that exists. Uh, but uh, yeah, most Cavalry guys uh, in these regiments like weren't what you think of when you think of Cavalry. of like just, Not Christian Bale? No. Uh, most of them were like hardly trained small guys who could fit on a horse. Uh, and like they're all enlistees. Like back then you could like enlist at their frontier posts. Oh. So like... A lot of these guys are just like poor and don't want to starve to death or whatever. Um, and like disease is rampant in these garrisons and stuff. And they're like, wait, we have to go out into the mountains and find some crows who know that we're coming for them. And this yeah. is their yard. This seems bad. I don't I've never do this. seen a mountain. <laughs> yeah. What's a mountain? I'm from Oklahoma. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and like this is despite the fact that the chief of the crow told the U.S. Army, like, don't worry, we got this. They sent their own armed warriors and police after these guys. It's like, you're making us look bad, you fucking asshole. What's going on? Yeah, uh, but like the army isn't going to like, ah, yes, the natives are, are going to handle this because it would require looking at the crow tribe, yeah. uh, like tribal government as the equals that they were supposed to. Because, like, remember, like, the traps are supposed to be sovereigns. Right. Uh, uh, yeah, obviously. Can't have that. That's an inside joke of the federal government. But <laughs> it just it, it exists to make sure they can, like, well, they could take control of themselves. We can't possibly stop them from not having food. <laughs> uh, but, yeah. Uh, so now you have a crow, uh, uh, an armed force of crow Indians following an armed force of U.S. cavalry people, both of them going at another armed force of crow Indians. <laughs> Not like, great. No, it's not. It's not a good sandwich. Um, also, both sides of this had veterans of uh, Custer's Last Stand in it. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, Jesus! Like Steve, is that you? Bam! <laughs> <laughs> I remember those eyes. God damn it! <laughs> uh, yeah. So, like, there. I mean, because a lot of crows fought alongside Custer, and a lot of uh of the. Cav guys who were part of the other units that did not get surrounded and destroyed uh, <laughs> were also there. Yeah, um, it's not great. I'd rather be one of those guys. Uh, Sword Bear attempted to fight them off with his men, uh, who I use the men, uh, the term men pretty loosely. Most of them were like 15 to 17 years old trying mm. to prove themselves. So, like, when the soldiers brought a Hotchkiss gun onto them, which is like what? a small piece of artillery, yeah. they're like, fuck this, we quit. <laughs> I would too. And, like, Sword bear is riding around on his horse trying to rally them, and they all just abandoned his ass. Uh, but Crow police captured Sword bear and thus the only Crow U.S. war ended after only nine killed total on both sides. Jesus. In about a day. Yeah. So it's not really a war. No. <laughs> so with that intro, we come to today's topic. The last war chief of the Crow... Tri- so far. We'll get to that part. Okay. The last war chief of the Crow tribe... Now, if you were to guess when that last war chief was crowned, when do you think it would be? World War II? You were right. Damn. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, Be- jo- Joseph Medicine Crow's story was made famous by uh, uh, that, was it the World War II documentary by Ken Burns? Yeah. I think he uh, gives him like a whole 20 minutes. So good job, Ken. Uh, 
So the last war chief of the Crow tribe would not be made in the battlefields of the Plains Wars or the Little Bighorn or the Crow Agency War, but rather killing Nazis in Western Europe during World War II. Yeah! Uh, so Joseph Medicine Crow was born on October 13th, 1913 as Hybrid of the Whistling Water Clan of the Crow tribe on the Crow Indian Reservation near... I heard they're good whistlers. Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, <laughs> near Lodgegrass, Montana. Uh, now, the Crow tribe's lineage passes down from the mother's side, so he's considered of his mother's people, meaning all titles, lineage, and positions are passed down from her. Though we do know his father, Leo Medicine Crow, was considered something of a heroic war chief himself. Uh, so, yeah. Also, Joe's family had one hell of a history of being incredibly important historical characters. His step-grandfather, who I will just called grandfather from this point on. Yeah. yeah it was a crow scout for George Armstrong Custer, whose name was the kind of unfortunate white man runs him. Oof. God damn. <laughs> Though he was also known as White Buffalo who turns around. So I'm I'm willing huh? to I'm willing to bet he liked that one better. <laughs> I don't understand the turnaround part. I, I don't understand uh, what his name meant, except the white man runs him one. That one's pretty that good. One's cr- oh yes. God. Uh because I mean even though Crow enlisted to fight in the U.S. Army, it did not mean it was a popular job within the tribe. So, like, it, I, I don't know if that was considered a snide, shitty nickname, or I, I don't know. There's not a lot of evidence on that uh, either way. But so he had options, at least. His stepfather or step grandfather survived the Battle of Little Bighorn, though how he survived depends on who you talk to. Some claim that he and other Crow soldiers change out of their army uniforms into warrior clothing, telling Custer that they want to die as warriors rather than soldiers. And that while the change of uniform didn't piss Custer off so much as like, yeah, we're going to fucking die. We want to die dressed as our people, not yours. Mm-hmm. So they got told to leave before being fatalists. Uh, okay. Not the fact that they're like, this guy sucks. He's going to get us <laughs> yeah. all killed. Another account is they just ran. Um, I don't think I believe that one. Uh, mostly because all of them kind of tell the same story and uh, the, the survivors don't really like each other all that much. Really? Like they just shot at each other. Uh, so the, the idea that they all are like, no, we changed. And that, that is the popular narrative is like they changed. But also I've heard a different one is like they changed in their warrior clothes so they could escape. But like, they knew that they were crow. Yeah, like that. That's like some really shitty racist version that like all natives can't tell each other apart or something. Yeah, they're like, no, fuck that. He's a crow. Fuck that guy. He's with the U.S. Army. Like they know. Uh, but yeah, I, it, it depends on who you talk to. I'm willing to believe that he changed to fight and die as his people, and Custer, being a shitty racist, told him to fuck off. I'm willing one. to buy that. Is that biased because how much I hate George Armstrong Custer? Yes, probably. But he's also that big of a dumbass to he get was, rid of his yeah. fucking scouts. Because remember, he was a. All of these guys are native scouts who know the area, and he got rid of them all, and then he died. So, like, <laughs> yeah. Now, Joe uh, had what is considered a normal life for a crow growing up on the reservation. And that is, he was, tra- he was raised traditionally. Uh, his parents kind of let the whole tribe raise him a- as a young man. And uh, it was not an easy life. He's trained to track and hunt with bow and rifle, and he was taught to ride horses bareback from a very young age. 
He also trained how to be a straight-up hard-ass motherfucker. For instance, when he went on hunting trips, regardless of the weather and how long that he was gone, he was only allowed to bring a single blanket and sleep on the ground with it. No (laughs) shoes. I couldn't Um, do that. He would also be forced to hike for miles in the snow barefooted in in order to literally kill the feeling in his feet. (laughs) I step on a pebble, I'm done. Uh, also, his uh, one of the people raising him saw that he was kind of afraid of heights when he was younger, so they forced him to jump off the highest cliff in the reservation into freezing cold water in order to break that from him. How deep the water? We don't know. You'll find out when you hit it, kid. <laughs> yeah. Though he was more, uh, he was he was more than just like trained to be a warrior. He like he's he survived this like weird upbringing as a future scout and warrior and hard, all around hard dude, but he was also an academic prodigy. He attended white schools and was ruthlessly picked on and bullied by his classmates. Uh, he remembers white girls pinching him and poking him with pins. Uh, like, cause they thought that his, that his skin would like turn white. Yeah. White oh, people are yeah. stupid. They are. Um, and like, while all while he's trying to pay attention in class and everybody thought that he was like subhuman because he's native. Uh, but then that seemed to slow him down. Because in 1929, when he was in eighth grade, he began attending a local college on the side. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> I can't imagine doing that on the side. Yeah. Uh, just, you know how you're just learning about, I don't know, your times tables? Go to college. Yeah. Uh, he was the first person in his tribe to attend college, as well as the first to get a master's degree. What? Yep. He would also be the first doctor. Uh, but that, that comes later. Oh, he puts the medicine in his name to use. No, no. He's a history PhD. Oh, yeah. Uh, he got his master's in anthropology in, in 1939. In his thesis, The Effects of European Culture Contact Up- Upon the Economic, Social, and Religious Life of the Crow Indians remains one of the most widely read sources on Crow culture and one I used for this podcast. Oh. Yeah, uh, that was very, very long time ago. Uh, Pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, Joe is also one of the last people to receive an oral history of the Battle of Little Bighorn. And this little bit of history stuck with him until the day he died. Uh, like his. Like I said, his great grand his grandfather survived the battle, and he was one of the last people to hear his full account oh. uh, because he got it for his research, right. and then his grandfather died. Oh, that's great! Yeah, in 1940, Raoul Walsh, a director, came into Crowlands to scout out filming locations for a biopic of George Armstrong Custer called "The They Died with Their Boots On," and it st- starred a uh, <laughs> an old Hollywood star named uh, Errol Flynn. They were looking to cast extras. Now, Joe had heard the story from his grandfather however many times, and so he's like, hell yeah, I want to be part of this movie. Like, my grandfather lived through this. How cool is that? So he went in and had to be interviewed to become part of the cast. Walsh asked him if he knew anything about the battle, uh, and Joe pointed out that his grandfather is one of the few people that had escaped alive. When Walsh asked him what he thought about Custer, he answered the same way his grandfather did, that he was an idiot who got his command destroyed <laughs> because how dumb he was. <laughs> he was immediately told to get out of his office and not hired. <laughs> What? Yeah. <laughs> God. Some people say this is because they're planning uh, the movie to get people's spirits up about uh, the U.S. getting involved in World War II. And, like, they're going to turn it into, like, a heroic last stand. Mm, I see. That type thing. And uh, telling the true story of how a white man tripped over his own dick into being massacred by a Native army would be a real downer. Even though that is the true story. It is, yeah. Um, while that might be the case, Hollywood has a really hard time admitting that the U.S. cavalry forces of the Plain Wars were dumb war criminals to this very day, and so do those units themselves. Uh, like, cavalry units still have awards in their headquarters from the Plains oh, yeah. Wars. 
Like, like you slaughtered innocent people. Like we gave like twenty fucking go, medals of honor. Go to a battalion, you'll see fucking streamers and yeah. shit. Like we gave like twenty fucking medals of honor for uh uh the wounded knee massacre. Where they shot unarmed people yeah. and they gave purple hearts out, or not purple hearts, but like their version of the wound badge uh, at the day uh, fucking... for shooting themselves on accident. Cause like it is pretty much all friendly fire. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. They're real dumb. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I don't know if World War II is really the reason rather than a tad bit more of that old institutional racism we've heard so much about. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, not in our Hollywood, <laughs> not 1940s Hollywood. <laughs> Uh, no, the, the movie was eventually moved to where else but California. And due to budget constraints and crew objections, they just hired a whole bunch of Filipino extras rather than Native Americans. <laughs> With only 16 Native They had being- a real crew. <laughs> they had a real crew. <laughs> they had a whole tribe that were willing to help. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but only about 16 natives were cast in the in like applicable roles despite the fact that literally hundreds of extras were hired. <laughs> Uh, three people died during filming, though. What? Included <laughs> how? So I wasn't going to include this, but it sounds like something that would it sounds happen. Sounds like we have to. It sounds like it was something that happened in like an Acme cartoon. Is that one man who insisted on using a real saber during a, a, a cavalry charge scene fell off his horse and impaled himself? Jesus! <laughs> how the fuck do you do that? I have no idea. I mean, it's fucking amazing. So, uh, congrats, Joe, for dodging that, I guess. Uh, <laughs> Another one in Anvil fell on top of him. <laughs> yeah, and then, like, uh, in his last stand, Custer leveled his revolver and went to fire, and a flag that just said, bang, dropped out. It was like, oh, those Indians, as it gets scalped. Um, as an extra little stab of revenge, Joe became the author and main editor of the script that reenacted the Battle of Little Bighorn. The main one, used on scene since 1965. The one that is considered the most accurate account ever written. So, eat shit, Errol Flynn. Yeah. <laughs> uh, after, this, he com- after he completed his master's, he began to study for his doctorate. But he had to, you know, work. Uh, he didn't have any other money on the side. So, he taught at a nearby school, but also eventually picked up a job at the Naval Yards at Briberton, Washington, while he studied. But in 1943, he decided to enlist in the U.S. Army, becoming what else but an infantry scout, following his, his grandfather's footsteps. Joseph, like hundreds of thousands of others, was destined for the battlefield of Europe. But before he went, his grandfather told him very specific steps that he had to take in order to become a Crow war chief. Oh. Just like his father. You know, for some reason, I thought you were going to throw typist at me. Every typist <laughs> we talk about is a fucking war hero. <laughs> <laughs> Only in movies. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he was actually Machine uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. from, <laughs> from Fury. Uh, the first was touching an enemy and then escaping without killing your enemy. Oh, and touching? Yeah. It's hmm. called. It's a very common practice across various native tribes known as counting coup. Uh, this proved that you were brave enough to run right up on your enemy, smack the fucking taste out of his mouth, and get away. This practice was used by a lot of different tribes. Someone used the blunt side of a lance to poke him, Jeez. while others would literally run up and grab you with their bare hands. The tribes of the Pacific Northwest had a practice where the stick that they used for counting coup would have a feather attached to it for each coup that they had counted. Oh, I thought they were going to tickle him with it. I mean, maybe. <laughs> I mean, you could... Uh, I mean... Imagine, though, like, you're manning a line or whatever as infantry, and you see a guy with, like, the most feathery stick, like, oh, fuck. I'm Not- ticklish! <laughs> like, the baddest dude is coming right towards me. <laughs> yeah. 
you could tell from like a football field away that guy is gonna poke me and then kill me. <laughs> uh, though something was important about counting coup. Your life had to be at risk while doing it. Like huh. you couldn't like That's... down a guy with a gut shot and then run up and smack him with your stick. <laughs> yeah. Like you can't game the system. You had to like run up while this guy's actively shooting and be like, what well, the five fingers stay in the face? Whap! <laughs> like there were steps involved. The next was stealing an enemy's weapon. This is kind of like counting coup, where you could quite literally snatch it from somebody's hands in the midst of battle, or you could show how clever you were by sneaking up on someone while they were asleep. It's kind of like choose your own adventure, stealth gaming, where you could rush in and die a million times yeah. before rage quitting. It's almost like you could uh, knock out two birds with one stone in that yes. one. Yes, uh, that, that's what you—that's what we call foreshadowing. Yes. Oh, okay. So we <laughs> did do this. All right. Uh, now, like, uh, Joe explains in his book that the the traditional crow way of waging war was like almost like a game of like who could be more clever like you'd raid one another steal stuff like you weren't like everybody online <laughs> like oh, marching dude. forward and shit like so like you know steal like you could show how brave war you were by like running up on a line of infantry and snatching a weapon or how clever you were by stealing it and like one is not considered better than the other i mean yeah once you get there cool but then you gotta go back yeah, then you have to escape. And, <laughs> yeah. like, you could get wounded while uh, counting coup, and it was considered, like, you still counted coup. And, but if you could escape not wounded, is like, the height of warrior. Oh, it's platinum. Yeah, yeah, you, you get the achievement unlock. Nice. <laughs> the next was leading a successful war party. This one is kind of up to you to be understood. As you could be leading a unit of really any size on any mission, more traditionally during a raid of some kind. But that is, like, how we just talked about how, how the that Crow saw traditional warfare. Um, it's just stealing a bunch of shit and running away or raiding someone, wiping out a, an enemy column or whatever and running or shooting and running, you know, partisan shit. Right. Uh, now, this leads us to the final point of becoming a war chief, stealing an enemy's horse. Obviously, you're going to lead a war party. You probably need to steal a shit, smack them with a stick and shoot a few at the same time. Going off all of our previous video game analogies, if like, because you know we're scholars, this is, these would all be like quests that are tied together. Oh, I'd be so bad at those. Yeah, I would die immediately. <laughs> like, I'm gonna go try to count coup guys and then immediately get shot in the face. <laughs> yeah. like, God damn get it, dome piece. It's really easy to aim for the six foot four native guy <laughs> on horseback. Um, now anyway, Joe went off to the European front almost as soon as he was done with training. Which, surprise, surprise, he ended up being a better scout than all of his instructors. I imagine. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, I saw that I've coming. been doing this since before you. I could walk, motherfucker. <laughs> he could also outmarch most of them because this is kind his of what feet happens. Were dead. Yeah. <laughs> this is kind of what happens when you get put through the native equivalent of the Agoge and your feet turn into an unfeeling mass of dead flesh. All right, everybody, quick, take off your boots. Holy shit, your feet are black. <laughs> all of his toes are fused together. <laughs> yeah. These are just hooves. <laughs> private medicine crow why are you not wearing boots i like it better this way i can feel the earth so i wonder if he was that guy during training was like actually instructor for fucking scouting yeah like he was that guy i feel like he just stood there because he was used to being like well actually by white people his entire life so he's like damn so let this fucking idiot talk at me for a while because <laughs> yeah, this shit doesn't work and then i'm gonna hide in the woods he's not gonna be able to find me uh, Joseph had been given a yellow painted eagle feather by his tribal medicine man before leaving, which he kept set his helmet at all times, and it was believed to be sacred. Hmm. Uh, he also donned crow war paint before every mission. 
though probably not like what you're picturing in your head. Uh, he was given a special kind of clay from his reservation that he could mix with water, and then he could draw two red lines on the length of his arms under his uniform jacket. Huh. So, so yeah, whenever he was anywhere that he thought that he would be fighting Nazis, he put his motherfucking feather on, donned his war paint. Nice. Yeah. And I really wish, Time like, to rage. now I couldn't find any evidence that the tr- that the crow um, engaged in like scalping, but like, if he- they did, this would just be the real life inglorious <laughs> bastards. <laughs> now Joe and his unit landed in France as part of Operation Dragoon outside of Marseille, uh, though something of a little brother of Operation Overlord that nobody really remembers as the Normandy beachheads had become overcrowded and more shipping lanes needed to be opened to fuel the allied invasion of Western Europe. Uh, and m- also because they didn't like land on a beachhead full of machine guns and landmines and stuff. Yeah. They're facing uh, not the best forces in the German army there. Instead, they were facing the Ostruppen, uh, we've talked briefly about before, which are conscripts from Soviet states uh, and pressed into the Wehrmacht. They surrendered pretty much immediately without a fight. Like, time to get out of this motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. Out of this enlistment. Yeah, shoot your shot. I quit. <laughs> uh, during the fighting across France and Germany, Joe and his unit were always in the thick of it, eventually leading them to assault the Siegfried Line. Are you, Ooh, f- are you familiar with the yeah. Siegfried Line? So, for anybody who is unaware, it was the German answer to the Maginot Line, meeting a giant dumb and pointless. Well, construction had begun uh, under the old Weimar regime and uh, using like military contractors and staffed by Border Patrol, which is somehow less Nazi than our current Border oh, Patrol. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it was like a small collection of positions with some traps in the middle. Like it, it wasn't like what we ended up seeing in World War II. It got beefed up multiple times by the Nazis using what else but slave labor from the Tote organization, uh, like a half million slaves a day. Jesus. Yeah. Working conditions were terrible, and uh, that's actually one of the reasons why they had to resort to slave labor, because like the, the Nazis tried using the old system of like, well, we'll just talk to all the, the factories, and they'll send their workers to like, you know, they'll contract workers out to do manual labor. All those guys walked off. Like, this shit sucks. I would, too. I mean, I don't know if I'd have the balls to quit my job in literal Nazi Germany where, like, labor unions are crushed because they you know, weren't socialists. Yeah. Uh, but, like, I'm like, you know, this job sucks. But when that Gestapo guy leaves, I'm going to start complaining again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but yeah, they like walked off. Like they'd let, they'd stay at the job for like two days. Like, fuck this. I'm going to go get, I'm going to go get drafted. <laughs> so they had to resort to slave labor. Uh, you know, you know, the thing about slave labor is you get what you pay for. Uh, and like the construction was terrible. Uh, like they had, for instance, they had like no, um, they, they'd lost the ability to create like quality steel. So they had to just use whatever the fuck they could just melt together and like it's steel adjacent. <laughs> uh and they had no like heavy machinery. So like uh literal tons of armored plating had to be pushed and pulled into position by slaves with ropes. I imagine it just all in one pile and saying, Good. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> Eventually the Nazis stopped working on it as their invasion of the USSR and other activities drew their attention elsewhere. See, they can never finish something off. They just half ass one thing, go on to the next. Yeah, I mean, the entire Third Reich is nothing but a half-assed bullshit project by an Austrian with a baby penis. Uh, That was until the D-Day landings of 1944. Hitler immediately ordered the construction to be ramped up, but instead of using the old slave labor because, like, 
he had killed so many of them and they were working on other projects, he turned towards the Reich Labor Service. Think of the RLS as something of a new deal for Nazi Germany that put people back to work as our economy was utter shit and poorly managed. Though, by this point of the war, most of those unemployed Germans had been conscripted and killed by the Soviets. So oh, the RLS was staffed by teen boys too young for <laughs> service between the ages of 12 and 16. That the, would change again as the 16-year-olds and below yeah. eventually got conscripted as well. The good news is, you guys are alive right now. <laughs> I mean, by the end of the war, the RL, R, RLS is just like babies, newborn. <laughs> yeah, like, from just the coming NU. straight off the line. <laughs> give Fresh. That, give that little bitch a fucking shovel. Uh, <laughs> what happened to all the 12-year-olds? Hitler Youth. What happened to all the 11-year-olds? Hitler Youth. What happened to all the 10-year-olds? Hitler Youth. <sighs> all right. Time to go to the Hitler babies. Can we give them a shovel in utero? Can, can they <laughs> dig from inside their mother? I guess what I'm getting at here is the Siegfried line sucks. Yeah. Uh, like, it turns out slave labor is shit for labor uh, because they don't want to work because they're slaves. Weird. Uh, also, it turns out 14-year-olds can't do great manual no, labor. they suck at it. They're awful at it. You know what? If you were the master race, your 14-year-olds should be good at this. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Those kids suck. I, as a 14-year-old with my brother, we did some great manual labor. I'm pretty sure as a 14-year-old, I was still playing, like, Pokemon, and I think I may have just discovered weed in anime. I'm not entirely <laughs> sure. <laughs> I discovered what 20 bucks would get me for the week. <laughs> I don't think I would have been great at digging anti-tank ditches, I guess is what I'm getting at. Uh, we just did an- anti-lawnmower ditches. <laughs> so you're saying is, if Hitler would have invaded L.A., he would have had a labor force that he had not been able to control. Yeah, their John Deere's would have been fucked. <laughs> anyway, Joseph and his unit were taxed, uh, tasked with clearing large portions of this line. Uh, as a key part of the line was tank traps and delaying type obstacles. So, like, it slowed down invasions. It wasn't great, but, like, it had, like, dragon's teeth, anti-tank obstacles everywhere. And it's a real bummer. <sighs> uh, history. Can you imagine you looking at it like, ah, we got to go left and make it right. <laughs> Can't go straight. <laughs> history a real bummer <laughs> uh, one fateful day in march of 1945 while fighting in the siegfried line joe completed his first war chief task joe was tasked with leading a seven-man patrol against the german fighting positions so they snuck up on them blew them up with dynamite joe uh, had led a successful war party nice that's one down now you have a to-do list uh yeah he had a tattooed on his arm like i do <laughs> Now, uh, he actually, subconsciously, he was not keeping track of this stuff. Um, he was just kind of doing his, his job. Right. And it turns out he was really, really good at it. Uh, now, the Siegfried line being breached, the U.S. Army began its invasion of the Nazi homeland. Uh, as Joe's unit was assaulting the town of Munsegen, I am fucking that up, but it's a German town, so I don't care. Uh, I, I do not feel the importance of pronouncing German things right circa 1945. <laughs> Uh, talk to me in 1948. <laughs> uh, in April, he came face to face with a Nazi soldier. And by face to face, I mean he literally ran into him at full tilt, smashing each other's helmets off of each other's heads and nearly knocking each other out. Just, Jesus. He just like linebackered right into yeah. a motherfucker. Joe came to first and kicked away the Nazi's weapon, and the Nazi lunged at him, and they rolled around the ground, fighting in hand-to-hand combat. Thankfully, Joe had been taught how to do that, too, from a young age, and beat the dog shit out of this guy. (laughs) Uh, He eventually pulled his sidearm, but then stopped, deciding it wasn't fair, and then tossed his gun away. 
and then decide that he was, if he was going to kill this guy, he was going to kill him with his bare hands. So Joe grabbed the Nazi by the throat, punched him repeatedly, and began to choke the life out of him. He was about to kill him when he heard the Nazi cry out for his mother. So Joe let go of him, uh, leaving him knocked stupid and gasping for air, picked up the Nazi's rifle, and then walked away. Jesus Christ. Joe had not only counted coup, but he had taken an enemy's weapon. He encountered the shit out of that coup. <laughs> yeah, he did. <laughs> I, I don't know if each punch counts as a feather, but he got at least a dozen. Uh, also, like, it's so, almost like a fucking action movie trope. Yeah. He's like, we'll settle this like men. And he throws <laughs> away his pistol. And, like, fucking, he dropped his pants like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Not like that. Uh, it's like uh, the, 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 the music from... Uh, the cable guy starts playing <laughs> yeah. and he starts circling. <laughs> uh, not, all right, this is not the second occasion where I could use that as the intro yes, for an episode. Because it works. Just him and a Nazi circling around each other. Uh, but now if you're ca- keeping track at home, which I assume you do for reasons I'm not entirely sure of, there's only one thing left for Joe to do. And that was to steal an enemy's horse. Obviously, this would be a pretty hard thing to do, right? Like, this is World War II, the land of tanks, aircraft, and nukes. Fuck no, it's not. And combined arms warfare. (laughs) There's no way some random E-4 is going to steal some Nazi's horse, right? (laughs) Well, by harking back to Band of Brothers, you have horses! What are we doing? General fucking motors! (laughs) (laughs) So the next day, after voluntarily getting into a kung fu fight with a Nazi... You think... It almost sounds like his ground game was fucking A1. Oh, yeah. Dude's got some strong top pressure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Crow jujitsu. Yeah, crow jujitsu. Yeah. Fuck BJJ. CJJ's worth that. Yeah. This is literally the day after this happened. Uh, He Eagle sweep. He decided that he would uh, steal some horses. Hmm. And if you're saying, if you notice, I said Nazi horses, which I did, uh, not nazis horses because i'm pretty sure at some point they fed the horses the horses some like peanut butter and then made them say heil hitler like some horrible bizarro world mr ed uh, yeah the horses are not innocent here so those horses saluted as well oh you got Goose you. stepping horses <laughs> horse stepping yeah <laughs> i think they just call it trotting yeah <laughs> i don't know this isn't a horse podcast no it's not <laughs> we can't afford one of those <laughs> Uh, Joe, acting as a scout near the Danube River, uh, watches around 50 men on a horseback rode towards a nearby farmhouse. He tracked them and realized there was a gathering of SS officers planning an operation. What? Yep. Joe reported this back to his commander, who ordered the house to be surrounded so they could be bombarded then attacked. Now, Joe, remember, I already said he wasn't thinking of becoming a war chief. Like this, He wasn't keeping a mental tally. Right. But he had a deep love of horses. Remember, he'd been riding them since he was a kid. And like... He was worried that the horses would get caught in the crossfire uh, and be killed. You know, horses don't pan. It doesn't pan out well for horses in that right. situation. I mean, the only way to stop a uh, an, an attacking horse with a gun is a defending horse with a gun. <laughs> I don't know. So without orders, he snuck back into the area. He passed a sleeping guard and calmed the horses down. That began to panic in his presence. <laughs> you little bitch. I'll count, I'll count you too, bitch. <laughs> yeah. shut, the, shut your horse mouth. <laughs> one of the, if, I swear to God, if one of you says anti, something anti-Semitic, I'll fucking kill you. <laughs> yeah. He quickly made up a brindle out of a nearby rope, jumped on a horse bareback, and rode it away, hoping the rest would follow him. And they did. <laughs> like He's the horse king now. Follow him. <laughs> 
the Germans woke up because there's like 50 goddamn horses <laughs> coming by, uh, and they began shooting at him. Instead of returning fire, Joe began singing a Crow War song, uh, which is something that has to have been the most confusing thing on earth nuts. for a Nazi currently sitting in Germany. Like, a native man saw our horses and chanted in a native language as he rode away. I don't understand what's happening. Am I dreaming? Yeah, like, I'm going to shoot at him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Joe says the song he's he sang went high bird high bird you fought the Germans you great warrior which I assume slaps in his native crow language they opened fire uh, at, at the same time that the US army opened fire so like Joe was caught in a crossfire but managed to save all of his horses this guy which I don't know I'm assuming he did not keep them like alright uh, pr- uh, specialist medicine crow you have to fit all 50 of those horses into your duffel bag where you can't put it in the connex <laughs> shit now, when Joe returned home after war, his tribal elders asked him what he did uh, during war. Because I'm assuming there's not that weird faux pas of like, so, Joe, did you did you kill anybody? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, Joe told them, not really expecting anything to come of it. That's when they informed him, like, oh, I guess you're a war chief now. <laughs> and he became a great war chief. Jesus. Yeah. Uh, but because Joe is crow, the U.S. Army did not think to reward him for his remarkable wartime service until, drumroll, 2008. Jesus. <laughs> uh, that's when they finally gave him a fucking bronze star and a French Legion of Honor in the Chevalier. Uh, Ch- Chevalier? I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it right. He's a knight. <laughs> uh, and actually, uh, when, Ob- when Obama was campaigning for president in 2008, um, and he's still a senator, he came to the Crow Reservation expecting to like get a... Uh, like a blessing from from the the local doctor who's also a crow guy, Joe, and he's like, "I don't give a shit about you until you start treating crows like people. We've been treated like second class citizens since since this country's been a thing. Fix that." So he got the Medal of Freedom the next year. Jesus Christ! <laughs> he literally shamed the president until he gave awesome. him a medal. I I I don't know if the two are connected, but the two are connected. Come on, <laughs> that's awesome. But Joe was not done being a badass. He founded a whole college, the Little Bighorn College, which he taught at until he died at 102 years old. Jesus. <laughs> he founded the Buffalo Bill Historical Center, the Plains Indian Museum, and became the main historian for the entire Crow Agency. He was also an advocate for his people in print as well as in D.C. He published at least 10 books, some of which are like... um, like handwritten notes and stuff that are in in museums uh on his reservation that aren't aren't books but like they're compiled notes and stuff that he got from gathering oral histories from other crow members uh including the one that we used as a source for this episode counting coup becoming a crow war chief on the reservation and beyond the last crow war chief died april 3rd 2016 at 102 years old this guy was a fucking badass. Uh, I say, Now, Jesus. I say the last Crow War Chief, but like, I say so far. Uh, because Crows are Americans. You're going to end up in Afghanistan or some shit. <laughs> it's possible, man. <laughs> like, I'm just saying, in 20 years, in like 2040, and like, you know, uh, he has a son, but I don't know if his son has it. I don't know if he has any grandkids. But like, his great-great-grandkid fucking chuck medicine crow ends up getting deployed and steals some taliban horses and shit like "Ah, ah, maybe make him a war chief uh but yeah that's the last one Uh, god yep that was awesome yeah i i 
I've heard his story quite a few times, and like a lot of people, I've heard it very little. And it was like a five minute, like check this out. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Is a lot of people don't realize there's a lot more to it, and like some people frame it as like, no, 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 he was trying to become a war chief. We're like, no, he wasn't. <laughs> uh, I mean, he had ideas of what a war chief was and like how to become one, but. Like in his book, he admits that he's like, I wasn't really keeping track of this stuff. I just really like horses. Yeah. <laughs> and who am I to judge a man who likes horses enough to then not let them get killed? Um, yeah. And uh, like it was given a whole 20 minutes or so in the Ken Burns documentary. And in, if, in, in, in anything, it needs its own whole own documentary, especially yeah. because like a lot of people are like, yeah, he became a, a crew war chief and then he just went back to his reservation. He did more than that. No. Like, he God. Do, he was a badass from the time he died. Uh, was Until the time he was born, until the day he died. Like, he, he taught a class, like, the week before he died at 102 years old. That's insane. I'm 32 and I can't. I don't have that kind of stamina. <laughs> I mean, come on. So. Well, your feet aren't dead. No, I need to walk more in the snow. You know, I, I mean, shout, it's going to be hard to do in Hawaii. <laughs> yeah, shout out to my parents for not making me do that in Michigan, I guess. <laughs> yeah. We were poor, but I still had shoes. Uh, you know, uh, so, Nick, we do a thing on the show called Questions from the Legion. And if you would like to ask a question from the Legion, you can donate a dollar to the show and you can ask to us on Discord or nice. DMs or email or whichever. Smoke signal, medicine or medicine crow. Yeah. <laughs> Messenger bird. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if you were a soldier of World War One, what melee weapon would you choose, and which one do you actually think you'd end up with? Oh man, <laughs> I'd, I'd imagine me with like a fucking mace, maybe even a cool trench knife with the fucking knuckles on it. Oh, so if you get captured, you totally get murdered. Yeah, <laughs> that that but one like, is fucking cool. It is badass. But what I would get would be like a Swiss Army knife, <laughs> but it was like really small, a one. flat bayonet. <laughs> yeah, or like the bayonet that wasn't really made correctly. Like, it was half production, and it only came with the handle. Can we get a bayonet? It's for the regiment of Mexicans from L.A. <laughs> oh, we're out. Shame. <laughs> yeah. like, God damn it. 1900s. Uh, I don't know. I, I think the trench knife is really cool. I think I saw uh, it was um, like the bayonet with, like, serrated edges that oh, people yeah. cut into it. Yeah. That looks way cooler than I feel like it is, because it would make it a lot harder to pull it out, right? Yeah, like, I imagine so, but it also... Um, but I'd probably I'd probably end up like if I was ever like if I followed the whistle, went over the top, survived getting machine gunned or gassed, or in my family's instance, not getting murdered in the, in their bed by the Ottomans. Yeah. Uh, like I'd get to the other side and immediately remember like I lost, I left my bayonet in my other pants. <laughs> and then I just have a club. <laughs> uh, because uh, one time I went on a night mission, and I, I say that I would forget something mission essential because I've done it before. I went on a night mission, a two day long mission in Afghanistan, which quitting overnight, and I left my night vision goggles at the hey, fob. Don't need them. Whoops. <laughs> Whoops, doodle. <laughs> Joke's on me. The motherfuckers didn't work anyway. Uh, so, Nick, thank you for joining me. Everybody, thank you for joining us in this wonderful bit oh, of it was Plains awesome. history. It was fucking awesome. Um, and thank you, everybody, for supporting the show. And until next time, uh, don't be a Nazi horse. This one doesn't have a good ending. No. Uh, don't uh, don't feed your horses peanut butter and make them say anti-Semitic yeah, slurs. There we go. There you go. <laughs> next time, y'all. <laughs> See you later. <laughs>